When our children were really, really small, Kathy and I let them decorate the Christmas tree by themselves. I'm sure many of you do the same thing. We would hand them the beautiful ornaments and they would toddle over and put them on the tree. Now, you know where they put them on the tree. Every ornament went as close as possible to the exact same spot where the other ornament was. And of course, that spot was at the very bottom of the tree because that's the only place that they could reach. And so when they would finish decorating the tree, Kathy and I would step back and say, oh, what a beautiful tree. What a perfect looking Christmas tree. Though it was neither of those things. Instead, the tree looked like a clotted, clumped, coagulated mess. So you know what we did. After the kids went to bed, in the years when they were too young to notice the difference, Kathy and I redid the tree because the tree didn't look like it was supposed to look. And so when they went to bed, we would move the decorations and place them where they belonged. And then we truly would step back and say, oh, what a perfect looking Christmas tree. And so it was with Adam, God's son. God handed Adam and Eve beautiful things, perfect things. And they used those perfect things that God handed them and used them not to decorate God's earthly sanctuary for God's glory and to, perf- to reflect God's perfection, but they used those gifts for their own selfish gain. And they made a mess of everything. And as a result, nothing in the world is as it should be. The world did not look as it was supposed to look. And so God came himself in the person of Jesus Christ to put things back in their right place. Christ came to do perfectly what Adam failed to do and to make possible once again for things to be the way they are supposed to be, the way God created them to be. And that's why Jesus is called the second Adam or the last Adam in Scripture. And you and I must understand Christ in his role as second Adam so that we can begin to understand what is possible for us. So that we can begin to be amazed anew or afresh with the truth of God's word. I can do all things Through Christ, who gives me strength. It's on that hope that we must fix our eyes this morning on what's possible for us because Christ is the second Adam. That's what we want to talk about this morning. If you'll take your Bibles and turn once again to 1 Peter chapter 2. And when you found your place in 1 Peter chapter 2, I'm going to ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. First Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 22, this is the word of the Lord. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, 
he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, now we ask, as we always ask, that you would bless the reading of your holy word to our ears to hear, to our minds to understand, to our hearts to embrace and love your word and your truth and eagerly seek the change that you bring in us through the power of your spirit and the truth of your word. Bless us now as we come to it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. I have to tell you, I did not try to get you here under false pretenses this morning. Last week, I predicted the place would be full, and it is relatively full, because I said that this week we would begin to look at the commands in chapter 3 for wives to submit to their husbands and for husbands to honor their wives. But if you will remember, I also attached to that this little phrase, Lord willing. I said, Lord willing, we will do these things. And apparently the Lord wasn't willing. In that, he directed me this week as I studied to give us all one more week of foundation that I think is necessary for us to have the proper context in which to understand these verses, not only the ones in chapter 3, but the entirety of this challenging passage that began in chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 2, particularly since this long section of teaching collides very often with our own sense of reason, and it definitely collides with our culture. And so you and I need to be able to understand this section beyond what our reason may say and definitely beyond what our culture may say about it and the judgments that our culture lays on these particular verses. Because the call in all of our lives is this. This is the call of our lives, yours and mine. And that is that we should be devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. Now, whether you've noticed it or not, for the past almost two years, I have used that phrase, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, in every single sermon or at some point along the way in our worship service, because that's the primary goal, the great hope we have here at Redeemer, that all of us would be devoted disciples of Christ. But then I thought as I studied this passage that I would add another word to that delighted, that devoted disciples, and that word is delighted. Here's the goal, that we would all be delighted, devoted 
disciples of Jesus Christ. The very first psalm says that blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of God. Psalm 35, let those who delight in my righteousness shout for joy and be glad. Psalm 37, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. Psalm 119, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. In Romans 7, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. I could read so many more because there are so many more. But I believe that this word delight takes devotion to a new level. It it puts devotion in a new light, perhaps in a different light than obeying God as a devoted disciple sometimes presents itself to you and to me and to our minds. Devotion to Christ. Is it for you a drudgery or is it for you a delight? When God tells us something in his word, we should delight in it no matter what we read and we should do the hard work with the Spirit of God to see where the delight is to be found because I guarantee you this, in obeying Christ and following him closely, that delight can always be found. Even when what God requires seems to collide with our reason or our culture. So, going forward, you're going to hear me say, and I'm going to pray, that all of us will become delighted, devoted disciples of Jesus Christ. And our greatest delight should come in what is possible for us because Christ is the second Adam. Last week, We talked about the passive and the active obedience of Christ. Well, Christ, Jesus, obeyed as the second Adam. He did perfectly what the first Adam imperfectly did. The Father sent him to put the ornaments that Adam had so misplaced in the right place in order that you and I might become who God created us. And intended us to be. We've already read one of the great passages about this this morning. As we listen to God's will for our lives from Romans 5. That's printed in your bulletin. Another important passage is found in 1 Corinthians 15. And I'm going to read that to you this morning in the New Living Translation. Because it's a little easier to grasp when you're just listening and not reading yourself. The scriptures tell us the first man, Adam, became a living person. But the last Adam, that is Christ, is a life-giving spirit. Adam, the first man, was made from the dust of the earth, while Christ, the second man, came from heaven. Earthly people are like the earthly man, and heavenly people are like the heavenly man, just as we are now like the earthly man, 
we will someday be like the heavenly man. Is that good news? Is that good news? We don't have time to delve into this passage from 1 Corinthians, but only to get the feel for it. And that is that God sent Christ to put things right, to undo the mess that Adam made, to put before us the possibilities that we have not imagined were possible. John Calvin puts it so beautifully. Having become with us the Son of Man, He has made us with Himself sons of God. By His own descent to the earth, He's prepared our ascent to heaven. Having received our mortality, He's bestowed on us His immortality. Having undertaken our weakness, He has made us strong in His strength. Having submitted to our poverty, He has transferred to us His riches. Having taken upon Himself the burden of unrighteousness with which we were oppressed, He has clothed us with His righteousness. In this verse before us this morning, Peter shows us how Jesus did this. And so we're going to focus on just two words. The word healed in verse 24 and the word returned in verse 25. So let's consider healed first. The word originally was strictly used just in the medical sense about the physical body and physical sickness. But the Greek world in which Peter lived loved to think in analogies. And so this word healed began to be used in places beyond just the medical world to mean to restore or to make good. So to heal was to restore or to make good, not just physically, but in other ways as well. And so we have to keep both senses of the word in mind here. Because physical sicknesses are a contradiction of God's plan for creation. They are not the way it's supposed to be. And so we need a second Adam to come and put things right in that sense, in their proper place. And he'll do that either by healing our physical bodies now, in which case we're all still going to die, or when we receive our glorified bodies, or the heavenly man, as we just read in 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read it again from the ESV this time. We shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I'll ask you again, is that good news? But our sickness goes beyond mere physical disease. And so the implication of the word healed is that something that was once healthy in some way became diseased, marred. Whole skin became covered with open sores and infection and all that results from that. And that is a description of sin. And that's how sin works in us and on us. It's infection, disease. 
disfigures us and wreaks havoc on us if we were to think of sin more in these terms. We might enjoy it less and avoid it more, don't you think? But Christ, as a second Adam, came to put things back the way they are supposed to be. He passively obeyed. We talked about that last week. He allowed himself to be wounded on the cross, and his wounds that he received on the cross, and actually through the entirety of his life, are what have healed us. And that's why this word means broadly to restore or to make good. And that's why this word takes us back to the time of creation and the possibilities there. At the time of creation, God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good. Jesus, as the second Adam, he heals and that he makes things good again. And then the word healed takes us back to the time of the fall. Adam messed up. Jesus restored. It's possible for things to be good again. Christ heals what sin broke. Christ restores to health the relationship with God that sin diseased unto death. And it's out of that healed and restored relationship that everything else flows from us. Our healed, our restored relationship with God flows into our families, into our homes, into our neighborhoods, into our workplaces, into our recreations. And that is why Christ as the second Adam must be first in our lives. And it's why the flag of Christ must fly over our lives and over our churches. Because listen to this. No amount of self-help, no amount of social activism, no matter how well intended it is, can work if Christ, the second Adam, is not first. It is only the wounds of Christ that possess healing, restorative power. And so Christ and his work as second Adam must precede everything else in your life and in our church because he's the source from which all other healing, every kind of healing you need, every kind of healing our society needs flows from the healing wounds of Christ. Now let's look at the second word, return, in verse 25. Peter writes, you've returned to the shepherd. The definition is simple. It just means to go back to a point where you once have been. And so Christ, as shepherd, is bringing us back to God. Just as Christ told in his story, about the shepherd who went after the one lost sheep, found the sheep, laid the sheep upon his own shoulders and took the sheep back to the fold. Scripture says rejoicing. 
And that's why this word returned is such a beautiful partner word for healed because of this pastoral connotation that it brings because of the love that it displays. The Lord Jesus Christ has come after us. He's come after you and me. And he's picked us up and has returned us. He's taken us back to the safety of God's fold, to God's will, to God's way, to delight in him and to bring us home. And that is good news. And so you see, Jesus goes back to the beginning for us so that things can be the way they are supposed to be. He came to do what Adam was supposed to do, but failed to do. I want you to listen to the beauty and the coherence of the plan that only a sovereign God could devise and then execute. In Genesis 1, we read that the earth was void and empty. Darkness was over the face of the deep, but that the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That's at the time of creation. In Luke chapter 2, the angel Gabriel says to Mary, you will conceive and bear a son and call him Jesus. And Mary said, how shall this be? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. and The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the hovering of the Spirit at the time of creation and the overshadowing of the Spirit at the conception of Christ who will recreate. Do you see what God is doing in calling Christ the second Adam? He isn't just picking up the pieces of the fall. No, the work of the second Adam reaches before that to creation. In all its beauty, in all its perfection, it's more than putting together just pieces that were smashed at the time of the fall. It's restoring to what was before that, creation and new creation. Then comes the fall. And Satan used this serpent to tempt Adam and Eve, and they failed. But then after his baptism, Satan himself came to Jesus in the desert to tempt him, and Jesus won, and Satan skulked away. And so from his conception to his temptation, the parallels are unmistakable. Such is the perfect plan of God. And why all the pieces fit together so beautifully, and it's why the possibilities are so great for us. Through the work of Christ, what was intended to be can be for us in Christ, the second Adam. Christ coming as the second Adam reminds us that God did not scrap all of what he created or those things he commanded when they fell. Instead, God made the promise to renew it. That first promise of the gospel in, John, in Genesis 3.15, that the seed of woman, the coming son, would crush the head of the one who had brought sin into the world, undo his power, undo his control. And so you and I then can proclaim with the Apostle Paul, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. 
And so I pray that Christ, as the second Adam, gives you really great hope this morning. Hope for possibilities. Hope for what can be. Through Christ, you can do all things. Do you believe that? Your life and my life can look more and more like what God intended when he created us. Not perfect. Not yet. Again, every one of our bodies is going to fail, and that's going to look different from each of us, for each of us. But glorious resurrection bodies are coming for us. Perfect physical healing through the second Adam. And you and I, as recreated beings here on earth, as people who are returning more and more to what God intended us to be, as people who take the ornaments, the beautiful gifts that God has given to us in Christ, and with the guiding hand of our Father, put them where they are supposed to be, in our lives and in our world. Imagine the possibilities. Ponder that we should not put limitations on the all things that we can do through Christ, the second Adam. No limits for our own lives, no limit for our world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that it is true that because Christ is the second Adam, because he has done perfectly what the first Adam failed to do, the possibilities for us are great. All things we can do, not in our own selves or of our own strength or by our own planning, but through Christ, the perfect second Adam, we can do all things. Father, we pray that you would help us to believe this truth and that you would inspire us to live out of the power of Christ, to be healed by the wounds of Christ and to make a difference in this world, through us, for Christ's sake, in whose name we pray, amen.